Now, we are continuing this series uh, in Paul's letter to Titus, and uh, just to give a little recap of where we've got to so far, you'll remember that this is a letter that Paul wrote to Titus, uh, encouraging him to continue to preach the gospel. Uh, Paul is approaching the end of his life. He knows his life's task is coming to an end. Uh, But although Paul's part in it is coming to a close, he knows the mission itself continues. And he's not merely concerned about what he does. He's concerned that the mission continues after he has gone. And so he leaves Titus behind in Crete, to establish and to grow the church there. And he writes him this letter to encourage him, to to spur him on, to teach him what he should be teaching in the church at Crete. And he uh, explains what the gospel is and what that means in his own life and in the life of those he is speaking to and teaching and pastoring. And you might remember a few weeks back uh, after we introduced this letter, uh, I said how we would be looking to see how the gospel applies in our everyday life. And back then I said it might surprise you how the gospel applies in your own life. And the reason I said that uh, was because we might think that we know already what it means for the gospel to affect our lives. Uh, Surely it means that we should be zealous in sharing the gospel with others. The word gospel means good news. So if we believe the gospel, if we believe what Christ taught truly is good news, then we should be motivated to share it with others. And that's true. We should be motivated to share it with others. But that's not all the gospel means in our lives. Uh, The gospel doesn't just change what we say. The gospel should change everything in our lives. Uh, It changes our behavior. It changes our thoughts. It changes our words. And it changes our relationships with others. Uh, Not everyone will be a missionary to a distant land. Some will be, some here have been, but not everyone will be. But that does not mean that the gospel has not changed their life. Uh, There are other ways in which the gospel should be changing us. And I don't think that's any more clearly taught than in the passage we are looking at here. In uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, um, Paul describes the effect the gospel should have on those who have trusted in Christ. And there's no one, I don't think, who is excluded in these verses. You may not be a missionary in some distant land. You may not be a pastor. You may not be a church leader. Nevertheless, you, the words, should I say, in this chapter apply to you, to all of us. Because in these verses, Paul teaches Titus to teach others that if we are a believer, 
if we trust in Christ, that will affect our relationship with those who have authority over us. And I think this probably is one of the least popular sort of messages you can hear, but nevertheless it's repeated over and over again in the Bible. Uh, God has put us into structures of authority. Uh, Children should honour their parents. Uh, Wives should honour their husbands. Uh, Employees should honour their employers. Uh, Church members should honour church leaders. And subjects of a nation should honour the governing authorities. And time and time and time again, particularly in the New Testament, God tells us that we should respect these structures which God has put in place. Earlier on in this letter, he's already mentioned how wives should honour and obey their husbands. Remembering, of course, that he also says that husbands should love their wives. But do you notice what he said in verse 9? In verse 9 he says, Exhort bondservants, uh, we might say employees, to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. In other words, what Paul's saying there is that an employee or a servant they can adorn the gospel, they can show the gospel, show the beauty of the gospel by their behaviour towards their employee. So a wife can adorn the gospel by their behaviour to their husband. An employee or servant can adorn the gospel by their behaviour to their master or their employer. But then look again at chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, remind them... That's the people Titus is speaking to. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Paul says that we are to be subject. We are to be in submission. We are to obey the rulers and the authorities, whoever they might be, whether that's a king or queen or prime minister or president whether it's democracy or it's not a democracy, we should honour the rulers that be. And we can adorn the gospel. We can show the beauty of the gospel in our behaviour towards those who have the rule over us. And really, as we look at these uh, seven verses, uh, you can uh, sum up what it means to honour the authorities over us, in about three words. Um, Paul teaches, God teaches, that we are to be obedient, we are to be faithful, and we're to be respectful. We're to be obedient, faithful, and respectful. And with the rest of our time this evening, I just want to look at each of those um, words to see how we 
as believers, if we are a believer this evening, uh, if we're trusting in Christ, if our sins have been forgiven by him, if we've surrendered to him, if he's our king and we're seeking to follow him, how we should show by our lives that God has changed us, by our obedience, by our faithfulness, and by our respect towards those in authority. Uh, So let's look at obedience first, Uh, just to show that this is clear across this letter. um, Did you notice what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 5? He's ascribing the younger women who are married, and he says to Titus that he should teach them to be, verse 5 of chapter 2, discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Not to anyone else's husband, but to their own husband. Uh, Look again at chapter verse 9. So that is wives and husbands. Now this is employees and employers or servants and masters. Verse 9, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. And again, chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey. So there's no escape from it. Uh, Paul is very clear that we must obey those God has put in authority over us. Because uh, when push comes to shove, that's what submission means. When all other things are said and done, to submit to someone means that you listen to what they say and you obey them. And we as human beings hate that, don't we? We hate that idea of having to obey anyone else because we all have a certain degree of self-respect, don't we? At least that's what we call it. There's another word for it. That word is pride. Uh, Ultimately, we all believe, even if it's deep down in our hearts, that we are little gods. And the degree to which we believe that will uh, indicate the degree to which we get offended when we are expected to obey someone else. But God does expect us to obey other people. Children should obey their parents. Wives should obey their husbands. Husbands should obey those in authority over them. All of us should obey the governing authorities. God has put us in these authority structures for our good and for our protection. Now, sadly, of course, um, sometimes the people who are in authority abuse their authority. They abuse their power, and we'll come to that in just a moment. Uh, But just taking the basic principle first, God teaches that we should respect the authority structures that exist, because if we don't, Chaos will be the result. Imagine the chaos if children stop obeying their parents. Imagine the chaos if we all decided to do as we wished and we did not listen to our governing authorities. 
God has put them there for our good and for our protection. But as I say, there are certain exceptions to that. Um, There are times when we should disobey authorities. The Bible is very clear when that is. Um, The only time we should obey these various figures of authority, whether it be in the family, whether it be in the workplace, or whether it be uh, nationally, the only time we disobey is when those authority figures go against the greatest authority figure, God himself. God trumps all of them. And if someone teaches you to do something that God has forbidden you to do, then you obey God rather than man. Uh, We've got an obvious example of that in the book of Acts. Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, tells the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so they do. They preach the gospel. The Pharisees come along, the sort of ruling class in Israel, and they tell them, stop preaching. Stop preaching the gospel. And what did they say to them? They said, it's better for us to obey God rather than man. So we always obey God first and man second. If there's ever a clash, we know who wins. It's God. If your husband uh, teaches you to do things which God forbids, then you listen to God. Uh, Even children, if their parents are teaching them to do things which God forbids, they listen to God first. And if our government teaches us to do things which God forbids, then we listen to God first. But in all other instances... God commands us to respect authority. Uh, Just because you think your husband is wrong, just because you think he is foolish, that's not a good enough reason to ignore him. Uh, A child, just because they may disagree with what their parents say, that's not a good enough reason to ignore them. Just because we might think our government hasn't got a clue and that they are ignorant and are taking the country in a wrong direction, that doesn't excuse us from obeying them. We have to obey. We have to show respect, even when it's down a path we don't necessarily agree with. Again, if it's wrong, if it's sinful, if it's dangerous, then we listen to God first. But otherwise, we listen to authorities. If I can give a stupid, sort of silly, menial example, you might be driving your car and the speed limit might say 20. And you might think, that's ridiculous. Uh, It's a main road. Um, Perhaps the speed limit's there because... uh, of builders in the road. And you look around, there are no builders anywhere. They're on their tea break or whatever. And you think, it's just ridiculous, it's daft, it's stupid. Nevertheless, you listen to the governing authorities. Don't take the law into your own hands. That is the wise course. That is the God-honoring course. Obey the authorities God has put in place. That's the first uh, word 
which describes what honouring the authorities means. It means we obey, except when they teach us to go contrary to God's will. Uh, but let's look at the second word. Uh, the second word is faithful. Uh, to be honour, to honour authority means to be faithful. Uh, look again at verse uh, 9. Uh, speaking again of servants, or again, as we might say, employees. It says, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things. To be well-pleasing in all things. Uh, the motivation of an employee to, or to be a servant, to, if you're working for someone else, is that you should desire to be well-pleasing in everything that you do. Uh, look again at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. To be ready for every good work. It reminds me of the speech by... I say reminds me, I wasn't alive, but I understand that President Kennedy gave a speech many decades ago. And in that speech, he said, Ask not what your country can do for you but ask what you can do for your country and those words gone down in history but it's a good sentiment Uh, the question isn't so much what the government can do for us though they must do things for us it's about what can we give to those who are in authority that we might be well pleasing in all things that we might be ready for every good work. Uh, Going back to the employee, the servant example, did you notice what it said in verse 10? It says, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. Uh, There's a temptation, isn't there, when you're working for someone to try and get whatever, to cut whatever corner you can and to to gain whatever you can from that situation, to perhaps um, steal the uh, pens and pencils which might be uh, available to you as part of that company to, to cut corners, to uh, steal time from your employer, uh, to try and gain benefits which aren't your due because of the position you are in in that company. But Paul says that's not the way we should be. We shouldn't pilfer. We shouldn't be taking from those in authority over us. We should be seeking to see what we can give to them. It reminds me of a story I read of a preacher, and he told a story of how when he was a boy or a young man, he worked in a, um, a cobbler's um, uh, shop. And uh, I'll read his account, better if I say it in his own words. Uh, but he described his job, and he says, It was my chief responsibility to pound leather for shoe soles. Uh, a piece of cowhide would be cut to suit and then soaked in water. I had a flat piece of iron over my knees and with a flat-headed hammer I pounded those soles until they were hard and dry. Uh, He said how it seemed like an endless operation. It was hard, it was laborious, pounding this leather after soaking them in water. But he said this, he said, What made my task worse was the fact that a block away there was another shop that I passed going and coming to and from my home and in it sat a jolly but godless cobbler who gathered the boys of the neighbourhood about him and he regaled them with lewd tales that made him dreaded by respectable parents as a menace to the community. Yet somehow he seemed to thrive 
and perhaps to a greater extent than my own employer. As I looked in his window, I often noticed that he never pounded the soles at all, but took them from the water, nailed them on, damp as they were, and with the water splashing from them as he drove each nail in. One day, he says, I ventured inside, something I'd been warned never to do. But timidly I said to the cobbler, this rival cobbler, I said, I noticed that you put the soles on while still wet. Are they just as good as if they were pounded? He says, he gave me a wicked leer as he answered, and he said, they come back all the quicker this way, my boy. Feeling I had learned something, the preacher continued, he said, I related the instance to my boss and suggested that perhaps I was wasting time in drying out the leather so carefully. But my boss stopped his work and opened his Bible and the passage that, at the passage that reads, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He said this, he said, Howie, I do not cobble shoes just for the four um, bits and six bits, the, the money which he got from it, that I get from my customers. I am doing this for the glory of God. I expect to see every shoe I have ever repaired in a big pile at the judgment seat of Christ. And I do not want the Lord to say to me in that day, Dan, that was a poor job. You did not do your best here. I want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that godly employer went on to explain that uh, just as some men are called to preach, uh, some women are called to be missionaries, he said he was called to fix shoes. And only as he did that well, that would be his testimony before God. And that's a lesson from this passage. Uh, you do not have to be a missionary to some far-off land. You do not have to be a preacher in a pulpit. Uh, you do not have to be sharing the gospel, the whole gospel, in every conversation of every day in order to be doing good work for God. God looks at your occupation, whatever that occupation might be, and he says to us, do all to the glory of God. Whether you're retired, whether you're a housewife, whether you are uh, a cobbler, or whether you are whatever your job might be, do it all to the glory of God. That's what it means to be faithful. That is how we adorn the gospel. You can preach the gospel, not in full, not in entirety, but you can adorn the gospel by your behavior in your workplace or in your home, whatever you are called to do. This is how we show the gospel in our lives. This is how we be faithful in our lives. That's the second word to describe what it means to honor those in authority over us. We are faithful in our jobs. We are we're faithful in our vocations, whether we are a wife or a son or a daughter or whatever we might be. This leads to the third and last word to describe what it means to honour authority. And that word is we must be respectful. We've seen how we must obey when it doesn't contradict God's will. Uh, we've seen how we must be faithful in whatever we do. 
But thirdly, we must be respectful. Now look again at what it says uh, in verse 9. It says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Uh, Or again, look at verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And this really is the key uh, to the whole passage. Uh, Most people don't like the idea of submission because when they think of submission, they think of a doormat, a human doormat. Have you met people like this? And they're just walked over by everyone. Whatever anyone asks them to do, they do it. And they have uh, no backbone, as you would say. They never stand up for themselves. They're just run over by whatever anyone else tells them to do. And none of us, I think, in our heart hearts want to be like that. And we're terrified that if we submit, we will be like that. We'll be a human doormat. But submitting to authority is not being a doormat. Uh, That is not what we are taught to be. Uh, Sometimes we have to speak the truth to authority. In order to be faithful, we have to say what is true. Uh, We have to be like John the Baptist, who told King Herod what he was doing was wrong. We have to be like Christ who stood up to what the Pharisees said because what they were doing was wrong and opposed to God. Nevertheless, when we do this, we should be respectful. Uh, The opposite of being a doormat is to be stubborn and bullheaded. And you know, perhaps some people who go to the opposite of extreme and they are snide, they are cynical, They are flat-out rude to people who are in authority. And that is wrong in God's eyes as well. Even when we have to speak the truth, even when we have to say hard things to authority which they do not want to hear, we should always do it in a respectful way. I remember, and this wasn't difficult for me in the situation I was in, I was in a workplace used to work in IT for a small company which sold outdoors gear. And there was a situation where um, the boss or one of the bosses uh, wanted me to lie in a particular instance. We had to put things on a website and uh, he wanted me to at least bend the truth to some extent about this thing that we were selling. And in, in fear and trembling, I had to tell him that I couldn't do it. Uh, but like I say, it wasn't difficult for me in that situation to do that in all humility because I was terrified of my boss. Uh, I was terrified of his wrath, of his anger, of potent- the potential sacking which might come down the line. But nevertheless, I knew I had to stand for the truth, however feebly. And that's what we should do. With humility, stand for God's truth without being rude without being disrespectful. Now, it doesn't always mean we have to be complimentary. Uh, We don't have to shower those in authority with lots of kind of um, flowery titles which mean nothing and which amount to flattery. Um, Jesus didn't do that. You might remember when Jesus called King Herod that fox uh, because Herod was a cunning ruler. He strongly rebuked the Pharisees using very strong language. But nevertheless, 
he instructed people, do what the Pharisees say because they sit in Moses' seat. He says, be respectful towards them because of the position they hold. And he was respectful to the high priest. Even though the high priest was putting him on a sham trial, even though people had been telling lies about him, he showed respect to the high priest. And it's interesting, if you read in the book of Acts, when the apostle Paul stood before the high priest, um, the high Paul said at least that he didn't know who the high priest was. Perhaps he'd been out of Jerusalem for a time, and he didn't recognize the high priest. And he spoke sharply to the high priest, because the high priest, a servant of the high priest had struck him around the face, I believe. And Paul spoke sharply to the high priest. And someone rebuked him and said, do you dare to speak to the high priest in that way? And Paul apologized. He said, I'm sorry, I did not realize it was the high priest. Because God says, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of God's people. And Paul, unlike Jesus, had to apologize in that situation because he spoke disrespectfully to the high priest, even though he had disagreed with the high priest, even though the high priest in that moment was doing something evil. Nevertheless, Paul was respectful or apologized for not being respectful to the high priest. The lesson's very simple. We should be very careful how we speak of those in authority. Uh, Even when we disagree with them, even when they're wrong, we should be careful to honour them with our words. Not to ridicule them, not to slander them like the newspapers and the TV shows so often like to do. We need to show respect with our words. Uh, Your husband might be a lazy so-and-so. Your boss might be a slave slave driver. Uh, Our government might be in a mess. But we must watch our words towards them. But in closing, uh, you might say, well, why? Why should we respect such people? Uh, Why should we obey liars? Put your points on our politicians and they tell lies, don't they? Why should we respect them? Uh, why do we, should we respect foolish people? Why should we respect people who disobey their own rules? They tell us to obey rules and they disobey them themselves. Uh, people who have affairs with other members of staff. Uh, people who squander their money. Uh, people who betray each other and stab each other in the back. Uh, who lie and scheme to get into power. That describes our nation pretty well, doesn't it? Why should we respect such people? Well, Paul tells us in verse 3, he tells us why we should honour and respect. He says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul says, we were just the same. They tell lies, well, we told lies. They live in malice, well, we've lived in malice. Uh, They are foolish, well, we have been foolish. Uh, The petty squabbles which happen within government are no different to the petty squabbles that happen in churches. Uh, 
Go to any church you like, you'll find petty squabbles. You'll find anything to match any government on earth. Uh, We might accuse them, but the reality is we were no better than they are. Perhaps they do it on a bigger stage. Uh, Perhaps they do it on a TV screen. Perhaps their actions in that sense are more notorious. But be honest, have you never lied to save face? Uh, Have you never dodged a question which someone asked you because you didn't really like the answer? Uh, Have you never envied another person? Uh, Have you never been greedy yourself? Uh, Have you never been more interested in your own comfort than someone else's need? Of course, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, We were all like they are. Positions of authority magnify their sins, but the danger is that we become blind to our own. Have you ever noticed that all the people, it seems, who could run this country seem to be sitting in pubs? Have you noticed that? Uh, the election happens and all these people sitting with their pint in hand and uh, pontificating about what they would do and what should be done to change the country. Uh, and yet they're not there. They're not the ones in power. Um, and it's probably just as well. Uh, the truth is, whatever we might accuse them of, we were the same once. And look what Paul Paul says here. He says, we were once like that. But verse four, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Whatever good we have is all the result of God's grace. He didn't pour out his grace upon us because we were good. He didn't look at us and say, oh, well, they're so much better than those people in government. They're so much better than those fools over there. No, God just poured out his grace on us. And grace means goodness that we do not deserve. Uh, It's God's riches at Christ's expense, as has been said before. It's not because of us. It's not anything we've done. It's just because God has been so gracious to us. And if God could show such grace to us, can we not show a little grace to them? Again, we may not agree with them, the ruling authorities, whoever they might be. We might dislike much of what they do, We might, uh, to some extent, despise what they say and do. Nevertheless, if God could show grace to us, can we not show grace to them and honour them where honour is possible? That is how the Bible says we shine like lights in this world. That's how we adorn the gospel. Because that's very rare. Um, To gripe and complain about the government is easy. Anyone can do that. Again, just go anywhere, any house, any part of the country, and you'll find people whinging and whining about this, that, and the other. It's not difficult to find things to complain about and to criticise those in authority about. But what is rare is seeing people who honour, people who respect, people who show uh, the honour and respect that God requires us to show those in authority. And if we do that, People will see something different. 
people see what has happened, what has happened in that person's life, and then we can show them, we can tell them of the grace that God showed to us, and so we are able to show grace to others, and so adorn the gospel. And that's what I've chosen as our final hymn, number 524. Uh, 524. Uh, It's a hymn which expresses amazement at what God has done for us. And if we let the words of this hymn seep into us, uh, if we truly understand all that God has done for us, it will be much easier for us to show grace to others. So we'll stand to sing in closing 524. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. So we close by singing 524.